Hey everyone, Danielle Bean here. I just wanted to jump in real quick here at the start to let you know that Father Chris Allar, the priest from the Divine Mercy Shrine that I mentioned in last week's show, he actually has a video series on Divine Mercy called The Essentials of Divine Mercy that was just released by Ascension. The series is free to watch and you're not going to want to miss it. So check out the link. It's going to be in the show notes for this episode at ascensionpress.com. It's a unique series about Divine Mercy by Father Chris Allar. You're not going to want to miss this one. Okay, that's all. Enjoy this week's podcast. Girlfriends, episode number 170, Principles for Effective Discipline. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom, and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about effective discipline for toddlers, for teens, for everybody in between. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Welcome to another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. You might hear in my voice a little bit that I was with family yesterday because I was talking and talking and talking. I was with um, one of my sisters and some one of my brothers and uh, some nieces and nephews, and it was great. So I'm feeling the effects this morning, but I'm hoping I'll make it through this podcast <laughs> just a little raspier than usual. How are you? How are you enjoying the Easter season? Remember, we talked last week, Easter is for 50 days. Are you effectively celebrating all 50 days of Easter? I sure am getting together with family and friends. One little note, though, um, I came to the realization yesterday that I'm feeling uh, physically not so great. And it's not like I have a virus or anything. I did, did realize it's because I'm eating a lot of sugar. So... Do you have Easter candy still in your house? <laughs> we definitely do. And um, I need to have a little talk with myself and tell myself that celebrating all 50 days of Easter doesn't have to mean spending 50 days eating Whopper eggs. You know, that's actually not a required part of feasting. <laughs> it's okay for a short while, but it's time for me to put that stuff aside and um, regroup. But that's part of what I wanted to talk to you about before we get onto this week's topic. I wanted to do kind of a fitness check-in. How are you doing in this change of season? I think it's kind of nice for us periodically to talk about the ways in which we're changing up our exercise routines or the ways in which we're trying to eat well, take care of ourselves. And so, yeah, cutting out sugar again, I was really good through all of Lent for sure. And so it felt nice and it felt like a, a nice way to celebrate, to actually have some Easter candy and other kinds of desserts and treats. But it's time for me to, to stop that because it doesn't actually feel good. It truly affects my energy levels and I don't like it. And you know what I'm finding as I'm getting older? I'll probably have everything figured out by the time I'm 100 and ready to die. But I'm figuring out that we kind of learn by um, the, the kinds of things that we do by what doesn't feel good. We end up actually truly choosing things that are better for ourselves, or we can anyway, by paying attention to how we feel. Like, how do you feel when you're not exercising? How do you feel when you're eating garbage all the time? How do you feel when you're not getting enough good sleep, right? These are these are things that are, are meant to kind of be built in. And the more we're in tune with our bodies, and I find this is something that has gotten easier for me 
as um, I have more experience, as I'm getting older, uh, to be more in tune with my body and realize, oh, you know what? That actually doesn't feel good. <laughs> I switched up my diet in this way and that doesn't feel good. And so I'm motivated. Like I'm not saying, oh, I can't eat sugar because it's bad for me and I can't do that. That's a bad thing. And so I have to cut it out. It's this thing I love, but I have to cut it out. Like I'm, I'm actually really honestly choosing. I don't want that because it doesn't feel good. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think that comes easier with more experience. And and maybe our bodies are more sensitive. I don't know what it is. Anyway, I just thought I would share that in case you experienced something similar. But um, are you doing more outdoor exercise and activity now that the weather is changing, um, now that we have spring? Once it hits here in New Hampshire, I feel fairly confident that most climates are experiencing warmer weather because I feel like we're last on the planet. I know we're not, but it feels that way sometimes when I'm watching. Instagram and it's like people are going outdoors for these beautiful walks and the warm sunshine and we're still having blizzards and ice storms. Well, blizzards and ice storms, I dare say, are behind us now. We do sometimes get fluke snowstorms or whatever, even until late April, but that is truly a fluke and it doesn't last and the snow goes away. So I'm not going to worry about that. And I have been getting outside to exercise and it just feels so good. It feels so good to be able to go outside. I went for a run the other day and Uh, I only went a few miles, but I felt like I could go 100 miles because it felt so good to just be outdoors. And I'm going slow. So I'm starting to train for a half marathon, which I've never run a half marathon race before. I think I shared this with you guys before, um, back in the wintertime when I was making the plan for it with my daughter, Juliet, who is in college, but she's coming home for the summer and she wanted us to run a half marathon together. So I'm not going to say no to that, but that means I need to kind of do a little bit more running and be disciplined more about how much I'm running and increase my miles because I haven't been running long distances. I've definitely run a, a half marathon length before, but that was just on my own and I haven't run it in a race and I haven't run that distance in over two years. So it's time for me to do that. And I'm not going to start out by going out and running 13.1 miles. I'm starting out small, running three miles, running four miles and increasing from there. Um, But are are you training for anything? Are you running outdoors? Are you walking outdoors? I was talking with a friend of mine the other day who's kind of like apologizing for the fact that she walks every day. And she says she sees people out running and she feels bad. Well, that's so dumb. No, don't feel bad about that. I think walking is actually probably for me anyway, it's exercise that actually in the end feels better to my body than probably running does. It's it's um, less impact and it feels more like how our bodies are made to move. So 100% behind you if you have a walking routine, but let this be your little nudge in case you don't. There's no reason not to get outside and move your body every day. There's no reason not to start a walking routine if you don't have one, if you aren't currently participating in any kind of formal exercise, walking does so count. So take your dog, take your kids, take a friend, go out with your husband, go for a walk, get outdoors. It's such a beautiful time of year to do that. But if you want to check in with me, I'd love to hear how you're doing or what your fitness goals are or how you're adjusting your eating habits in this Easter season, what your experience is with sugar. Um, Yeah. Anyway, so that's just your little reminder, fitness check-in before we dive into this week's topic. So This week's topic, I thought we'd talk about discipline because now there's a history to this. This goes way back. I know I've been promising you that my husband, Dan, is going to come on the podcast. I've been promising you that I don't even want to know how far back that promise goes because he keeps telling me he's going to. 
Okay. And now he truly is. I know you're not going to believe me, but he truly is. He committed and I got a date and a time this coming week for us to record together. And one of the topics on our Facebook group that came up when we were talking about, you know, topics people would like to hear on the podcast, it came up a few different times in a few different ways that people wanted to talk about discipline. And I thought that's a great topic for Dan because I I really admire and respect the way that he parents our kids and has for years. So I thought that's a great topic for Dan to talk about. And so I made the plan that Dan's going to talk about discipline when he comes on the podcast. Well, then many months go by and I still can't get him to commit to a date and time to record. He's a little shy, I guess, but he's truly not a shy person. So you'll find out when he comes on the podcast. Anyway, he is coming on this coming week and he's going to talk about discipline. So it's going to be next week's episode. But I thought this would be a good idea. I don't know what he's going to say. I'm going to tell him that's the topic and ask him to prepare. Um, But I thought, well, I can talk about discipline. I can give my version, my perspective, and then it would be nice next week to have Dan's perspective, I thought. So I'm going to do that. I'm not going to tell him what I shared here. I won't let him listen. Not that he ever would. Oh, my gosh. Dan, (laughs) he would never, I don't think, listen to a girlfriend's podcast. He hears me talk enough. He doesn't need to tune in for extra. Anyway, I'm going to share. Let's see. How many did I write down? I wrote down four um, ideas for effective discipline, sort of my own perspective from my own 24 plus years of parenting. Um, And in this, I'm going to talk about discipline from the perspective of a parent of kids of many ages, because I think the principles stay the same, whether you're parenting toddlers or you're parenting a teenager or you're parenting a middle school age child. I I think that those the ideas that make discipline effective, well, at least the ones I'm going to share, kind of apply across the lines. So this is for parenting of all different ages and stages. So here are my tips. You'll hear Dan's next week. I promise. Now I'm going to die if he backs out. I'll I'll kill him. No, he's not backing out. He is doing this. We have the date and time set up. So nothing is going to stop Dan from coming on Girlfriends next week to share his ideas on discipline. Just another little note. um, Also, I put out on Instagram a call for some questions for Dan coming on the podcast. So he's going to share about discipline. But then also there are just some um, some quick, some not so quick little questions that I thought we could make up the rest of the time with um, if we need to. And it, it might be just kind of fun to kind of ask him some random questions that he's not prepared for. So anyway, that's just my little advertisement for next week's show. Be sure to tune in. But this week, here are my ideas for discipline. So my first principle with regard to discipline is to be clear. Communicate clearly about what your standards are. This seems like such a no-brainer, but I know if I don't remind myself, I don't do it. Like sometimes we have these expectations for our kids, especially when they're little or even when they're older and it's a new thing that they're doing or they're participating in. We have these standards that we have in mind, like everybody does this. This is standard of behavior. And we neglect to communicate that standard to our children. So then when they're walking all over our standards, we get offended and we're like, what is wrong with my kid? He's so undisciplined. Well, tell them what the rules are and not in necessarily a hit them over the head with the rule book kind of way, but just communicate about what your standards of behavior are. And honestly, I am always surprised. I have always been surprised from the time when my kids were small to when they were older, the standards to which my kids are able to live up to. My kids are more capable and your kids are more capable than oftentimes we give them credit for. 
set a standard for your kids and communicate it clearly. I think sometimes just having a set expectation, having an expectation of certain behavior goes a long way. And now this became really clear to me when our kids were still pretty small. And, you know, we had our moments at mass. Trust me, we have had our moments at mass. And this is like the number one question I get asked by Catholic moms is how to make their kids behave in mass, especially young moms who are really struggling with that for the first time. We really want to know how can we do this? So I remember when my kids were all still pretty small, but I don't know how many we had, but we were kind of getting the hang of this parenting thing that we did get to a point where our kids were pretty well-behaved and they could be pretty well-behaved in mass. And I remember a friend asking me about it, about how we did that. And I didn't really have an answer for her beyond we expect it. We expect that our kids are going to sit in the pew. We are not coming in there apologizing to them for the fact that we're taking them to mass. Now, I know people aren't necessarily doing that, but in your attitude toward your child, is it apologizing? Like, I'm so sorry you have to do this and here are all these accommodations to make it more survivable for you. Or is it just, here's what we do. You're along for the ride. You're part of this family. We are here to worship God. And here we are. And we're expecting you to behave in an appropriate way in the pew. Of course, there are going to be times when, you know, a two-year-old and whatnot is not going to be capable of that. And that's just that's just part of life. But on the whole, in a general principle, in a general way, I think just having that standard goes a long way because those things that you just treat as a no-brainer, here's how we behave, here's what expect is expected of you, become just a natural part of your child's environment and they live up to it. Not perfectly. I'm going to have to do a thousand caveats in this show because I'm afraid of coming across like, I've got it all figured out. My children are perfect. But of course, that's not the case. But I'm just talking in general. These kinds of principles, I think, really are helpful. Just setting that standard and communicating it clearly. Maybe spelling it out, just really talking about it. But then other times, just having it as what's expected. Talk about it as a normal part of life. We we go to Mass and we sit quietly in the pew for an hour. And it's part of what we do because we love God and we want to worship him as he tells us to. So I think having that expectation is huge. So I'm talking about young kids in mass, but it also applies to teenagers. It also applies to middle school children, that we have a standard of behavior for the ways in which you're going to interact with your siblings, for the way in which you're going to talk to your mother, for the way in which you're going to help around the house. And I think sometimes, and, and I think moms are more guilty of this than dads, we're apologizing for expecting things from our kids. We feel bad about it for some reason. And so we're approaching the relationship in an apologetic way, like, oh, okay, here's your list of chores and I'm so sorry you have to do it. Maybe not saying those words, but the kid gets the vibe and that's setting yourself up for failure because the kid gets your vibe. If they feel like you're saying, this is expected, here's what you shall do. And it's just a normal, healthy part of living in community with other people, right? That's a gift you give your kids. And yet sometimes we think of it as it's mean to be expecting things from them. It's mean to expect certain standards of behavior or participation or work in some way. It's truly not. It's a gift you give your child to let them know how best to interact with other human beings, how to live in community with other human beings, right? So it's an expectation of whatever level your child's at, we do this or we don't do this, right? And I think it's even helpful to talk in that way, to have that standard, to have that expectation, but then 
not even just talk about it like you're not allowed to do that, you know, because I'm the parent and you're the child and I have this power play over you. Just we don't do that, you know, and maybe your kids are going to have some rules that don't apply to you, but it will just be we don't do that, you know, in this in this house, in this family, the children don't behave that way. The children have this standard. The children have this rule. And I find that the more you're able to accept it as a no-brainer and treat it like that yourself, the more effectively you're going to communicate that to your child, that it's just a standard and you're expected to live up to it. And our kids surprise us. My kids have surprised me over and over and over again in their ability to live up to that standard if I am willing in the first place to set it. Okay, so that's the first one. Be clear. Set a standard and be clear about it. Okay, number two. This is so important. Again, something I've learned the hard way. Follow through. Follow through. The same way our kids pick up our vibe when we're letting them know about a standard. They pick up the vibe like, I'm so sorry you have to do this. It's really not fair. Or they pick up the vibe of this is just expected. Live up to it. Or also, they pick up the vibe when you don't follow through. What you do matters a lot more than what you say. So you can set all these standards. And this is something that can be amusing to uh, to observe in other people when they're parenting, not in a judgy way. I, I find it actually amusing. And a lot of these things, I can laugh about them because I know I do it too. Where, you know, a mother's like trying to cajole her, her toddler at the grocery store or whatever. And... And everything she's saying is like, please, you know, please, child, begging. And and at the end of every command, it's okay, right? Is it okay with you? I'm telling you to do this. Is that okay, right? You think the child's not picking up that vibe that they're in charge? Uh-huh. Yeah, they are. Um, but then again, with the follow through, if you set a standard and you you succeed in communicating it clearly, like we just talked about, you could still mess it up. If you don't follow through, if and when they don't meet the standard, they're going to test you. Toddlers will test you. Teenagers will test you. Every age and stage of childhood will test you. It's human nature, right? They're going to find out what the boundaries really are. I know what mom said, but now I'm going to find out what she really means because I'm going to test it. And some kids will do this more so than others for sure. We have our all-star kids in this family who have tested us so many times in so many ways and over and over again. Like, is that still the rule? Let me find out. Um, so this is a place where I have really appreciated the complementarity between Dan and me and the way we approach discipline because I think it actually is part of God's plan for the family that every child have a mother and a father because we can balance each other. And now, okay, this is stereotypical perhaps, but this is absolutely the way I have appreciated it and experienced it in my own marriage is Dan is very good at the follow through. Like he is able to take all emotion out of the situation and follow through with, you know, an effective consequence for behavior when somebody breaks a rule. I, on the other hand, am much more emotional about it and I start to feel bad and I can let that mess up my follow through. And I find that Dan is so helpful to me inside of that, especially inside of, you know, pivotal moments in our parenting where it's like really important that we follow through so that the child gets the message. And um, so in that way, I find that such a beautiful part of God's plan in marriage that man and woman complement each other in that way, that we balance each other out in that way. And 
I, I like to think about it as sort of the different aspects of God. I mean, what a privilege and what an honor that our children's first experience of who God might be is through their relationship with us, right? When they're tiny and they're small, they can't, they can't know who God is. They can't have a concept for that, but they know who you are when you are holding them and loving them, when you are disciplining them, when you are setting standards, right? And so they experience these different kinds of relationships through their their relationship with their mom and with their dad in different ways. And of course, that's going to look different for everybody. Not everybody is, you know, the stereotypical disciplinarian dad and the stereotypical emotional mom, loving mom. But I like to think about it as like God's justice on the one hand and God's mercy, both of which are equally true and both of which are equally important. They're both part of how our children can come to understand who God is, is first and foremost by experiencing that through us. What a privilege. And, it, and you know, when you think about it that way, it really makes you want to rise to the occasion to do that properly and to be aware of the ways in which you and your, your spouse balance each other out with regard to raising your children. I think it's a beautiful gift that we give to them. And, you know, I was aware of that concept you know, it's sort of in a general sense of that's how our children come to know us. But it really, really hammered home for me once um, when our second child, Eamon, who is now 21 years old, um, he was just like two, maybe. Right. And he was sitting in the window when there was a huge thunderstorm going on outside. Right. And uh, this huge, really loud thunderclap like shook us. You know, it was like right there and it was frightening and it was huge. And I'll never forget little two-year-old Eamon sitting in the window. He hears this giant loud thunderclap and he wasn't terrified. He turned to me and he looked at me with his cute little eyes and he said, Papa, right? So our kids called Dan Papa when they were little. And to him, that was, he, he thought this huge storm that's happening outside, this violent storm, <laughs> this strong, powerful thing that's going on. He thought his father must be the cause of that. Papa was doing that in some way. And, you know, it was just such a revelation to me, like, wow, you know, <laughs> that's that's how our kids experience the world, right? Like that, that must be coming from his father. And then other things he would probably be assuming are coming from his mother. And then as a child, you know, of course, growing in understanding and knowledge would come to understand those things truly come from God. But we're their first experience of those things. And the ways in which our children experience justice and mercy um, through us, of course, come from God. He's the source of those things. So that's their first experience of God. What a privilege. What a blessing to be able to be that for another human being. It's also daunting, right? <laughs> that's why we need grace. But that's why we also have these important conversations. So anyway, follow through is absolutely important. And I do find that Dan is really helpful, and he's probably going to talk about this when he comes on. Um, for me in that regard, I'll never forget one time one of our children, who was a teenager at the time, really really had a major infraction <laughs> for a rule. And the discipline was that he wasn't going to be allowed to um, attend an event. He was really looking forward to that weekend. He was going to be grounded in the, the I mean, it, it made perfect sense that that was the consequence for this behavior. And in the moment, it was absolutely the right thing for us to do, set that as a consequence for this infraction. And it made, you know, it was completely just. 
and it wasn't unfair and it wasn't over the top and whatever. So that happened and it was terrible. I mean, and this is part of it, you know, and this is part of what I struggle with sometimes with regard to discipline is it feels terrible. Well, you know what? Sin feels terrible. When your child sins, it feels terrible. When we sin, it feels terrible. So that's part of it. It feels like it must be wrong because it feels terrible. No, not true. So we set this pretty large consequence because it was a large event that he'd been looking forward to for some time and he wasn't going to be allowed to do it. And um, so, of course, it was devastating for him, but a very fair consequence for what he had done. And then, you know, so the day the day of the event was probably about a week away when we set this consequence. So we had like a week to kind of sit on this and anticipate not being able to do this. And our child, because he's smart, thought he's going to work the system a little bit. So he started doing extra chores around the house. He started, you know, doing extra things for his younger brothers and sisters. He was going above and beyond. He apologized for his behavior. All of these things, right? All good things. And then he came to me, of course he came to me, (laughs) and suggested perhaps we could remove the consequence and he could go to the thing. Uh, My immediate reaction, I, I, I was smart enough in the moment to hit the inner pause button and say, well, I need to talk to your father. Didn't give him an answer. And Um, My immediate reaction, though, was, of course, we can let him do it. Look what he's done. He's made up for it. Right. And that's how I approached my husband. Right? (laughs) Mm -mm. He was not having it. (laughs) And he said, you know, I'm sorry. Like there are things in life. And this is a lesson that he needs to learn that there are things in life where you have consequences and you can't reverse them just by being sorry. And you can't reverse them just by you know, doing some other things to make up for it. Great and wonderful that he did all of those things, but it's the the consequence remains. And he'll remember it the next time when he's tempted to do this thing that he wasn't supposed to do. And, you know, Dan talked me through that, gave me the little pep talk. It still didn't feel good. In fact, it felt horrible, but I did have confidence because of what Dan had talked to me about, that it was the right thing to do for our child. He needed that. It was whether he realized it or not, and for sure he didn't, a gift we were giving him, that follow-through on the consequence that we had set for his behavior. And it felt terrible. It was terrible. It was awful. And we survived. (laughs) So (laughs) all of that to tell you, follow-through is important. And I reflected on it. I remember like a few weeks after the fact, when all of it was said and done and things were back to normal, that how important that was. And what a different message we would have sent to our child if we had reversed the consequence. Like, you know, we set this consequence, we said this was going to happen, and then we let you manipulate us. Not that he necessarily was, you know, he truly was sorry, I'm sure, and all of that. But still, there's a level of manipulation there. There's a level of him taking control of the situation rather than learning, I need to meet their standards because they're in control of my situation. Um, subtle, but hugely important difference. And, you know, reflecting on it after the fact, outside of all the emotionalism of the moment, I was able to see that. And I thought, what a gift Dan was to me and to our child in that moment who needed that. I needed that. I needed him to set that standard and, and remind me of the importance of sticking to it. And of course, there are times when I need to be that for him. I need to remind him of the importance of mercy, remind him of the importance of thoughts and feelings and relationships. Okay, so that brings us to our next one. 
um, which my next thought on effective discipline is you need to remember that it's not personal. It's not personal. And this is something I personally need because like I said, I tend to approach these things more emotionally and more with a sense of mercy and more with a sense of concern and love and a focus on feelings um, <clears throat> rather than a focus on just the, the hard facts of the situation. But it can be hard to not take it personally when your child disobeys. It can be hard not to take it personally when your child just completely flies in the face of your authority. Whether they're a toddler or a teenager, this is some of the biggest struggles we have as parents are when our kids are are not meeting our standards. We're like, why? How can he do this to me? Right. But that's not the appropriate approach to discipline, to take it personally and respond in a personal way is, you know, how can they do this to me? But truly, it's not personal, whether they're toddlers or teens or kids. They are toddlers. They are teens. They are kids. That means they are young and they are immature. They're just being dumb or immature. They're making dumb decisions, just like you did when you were immature, just like you do sometimes. And it's nothing personal. I find it's helpful sometimes to reflect on my own experience as a child growing up in a loving family with loving parents and the dumb things I did. The times when I very, very consciously chose to do the wrong thing. And it was nothing personal against my parents or the rules they set. It was nothing personal. It was me being dumb. And so I think it's helpful to remember that our own kids are dumb sometimes and it's not personal. They're not rejecting your love. They're not rejecting the years you've poured into caring for them and loving them and driving them back and forth to soccer and whatever. They're not. So I think it's helpful sometimes. It helps with that follow through that we talked about to think of it more as like a business transaction, right? <laughs> that we set a standard. You didn't meet the standard. Here are the consequences and kind of remove that emotionalism. I think we moms need that reminder perhaps sometimes that our kids are learning and they're growing. And this is part of the process. Part of the process is testing us. And it's not anything personal. We, sometimes I think the temptation is to take it personally and just bring it to that level, even inside of our relationship with our kids. And that's just not helpful to anybody. Uh, you know, I think that it's not helpful to your kid, for sure, to inject that kind of emotionalism. Yes, sometimes letting them know how what they do makes you feel, that's perfectly fine and appropriate. But having the focus there, like this is wrong because it makes your mom feel bad. No, that's that's not right. Um, so remove that. It's nothing personal. But equally true is number four. The last one I want to share is that it actually is personal too. Okay. So it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but not really. But this is where we talk about the prevention of bad behavior with our kids, whether they're little or they're big. It's inside of our relationship with them, right? It's inside of the time that we invest in our relationship with our kids. That's where discipline truly begins. That's where our success or our failure is set inside of our discipline with our kids is inside of our relationship with them. If you don't have a relationship with your child, like think about a situation like perhaps there's like an absentee father, right? And then he he shows up one day and wants to set all these rules for his kid. Uh, no, right? The kid's not going to have it. Nobody would. I don't have a relationship with you. You have no authority over me. So then the, the opposite though is true that the more you invest in your relationship with your child, the more you're going to have that natural authority, the more they're going to respect the authority that you have that God means for you to have in their lives. 
the more you're going to be effective when you do need to discipline that child. It's inside of that closeness that you should be investing in. You need to build mutual respect and trust, and that happens over the course of the long term. It's in the long term investment in our relationship with our kids, building that closeness, in truly knowing your kids. Discipline becomes all the more effective when you truly know your kids. And that happens through the investment of time and energy in the long term. The good news is most of us are doing that. (laughs) We're doing that already. We are investing. But doing it in a conscious way, I think, is helpful toward effective discipline. To consciously be thinking about, I want to truly know my kids. And I want to truly make them feel known and loved by me. And then it's inside of that relationship over the course of time, over the long term, that you can create a bond where discipline, yeah, is sometimes necessary, but it just is a normal, healthy part of your interaction. We should have as a goal inside of our relationships with our kids, ultimately the same goal that we have in our relationship with God, right? I already talked about that kind of parallel between our, not that we're gods, (laughs) but that parallel between our kids' relationships with us and our relationship with God. That, you know, in a healthy relationship with God, we don't want to disappoint him. We love him. And we, we, we feel so loved by him in our relationship that it's an ideal in a way, like it's the relationship we're meant to have with God, that we don't want to do things that are outside of what he wants for us because we don't want to hurt him. We don't want to disappoint him. We want to be united with him. Well, give a little thought to that in your own relationship with God and then think about how can I foster that in my relationship with my kids because that's where discipline truly becomes effective. When your kids feel known and loved by you and you have that mutual bond, that mutual connection, and it's inside of that that your kids will be motivated to not disappoint you. They'll be motivated to meet your standard because they love you and because they know you love them and want good things for them. It's inside of that trust that only happens over the course of time, that effective discipline really can take place. So think about that. So it's not personal in the moment where you're actually enforcing the discipline, right? And it's not personal necessarily in the moment where your child is disobeying or, you know, moving outside of the standard that you set. But it also is personal. It's personal in the investment you make in the first place. It's personal inside of prevention of the bad behavior in the first place. But then it's personal in um, kind of setting a perspective, you know, setting the context in which discipline is going to be effective. Discipline is going to be well-received. Not that anybody ever wants to be disciplined, but it will be understood as part of a healthy relationship. And it will be understood, you know, in the end, you know, like there's that cliche of this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? (laughs) Or like, this is for your own good. So many times that's all we want our kids to know, even if it hurts This is for your own good. And even inside of our relationship with God, we want to know it's more effective if we know this is for my own good, even though it hurts, even though I wouldn't choose it, even though I don't want it. This is for my own good. So inside of discipline, we want our kids to know that ultimately and accept discipline 
as something that's for their own good. And that happens inside of a healthy relationship. That happens in a relationship where your child trusts you, where your child knows you love them and want good things for them. And that kind of relationship is something you invest in over the long term. So the more you can do that, the more effective your discipline will be. Okay, those are my four ideas for effective discipline, my principles for effective discipline. First, be clear. Number two, follow through. Number three, remember it's not personal, but the number four, remember it actually is personal over the long term, not inside of that moment where your child is disobeying. Maybe you have thoughts and ideas on discipline. We're going to hear Dan's next week. But in the meantime, I'd love to hear from you if you have thoughts about what I've shared here today, if you have principles of effective discipline that work for you inside of your parenting, I would love to learn from you. And I'd love to share your feedback with other listeners here at Girlfriends. You can email me, Danielle at daniellebean.com. Connect with me on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer is always in the show notes at ascensionpress.com. Or do my favorite thing, you can send me a voicemail, record a voice memo on your phone and just send it to me at danielle at daniellebean.com. We're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. If you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash ascension presents. That's youtube.com slash ascension presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. Now, this is the part of the show where I share a little feedback. And um, this week I have feedback from listener Megan who emailed me. Megan says, good morning, Danielle. I just wanted to reach out to you and say thank you. I found out about your podcast the day before Ash Wednesday, and before I knew it, you helped add to my Lent. I have a minimum 45-minute drive to and from work daily, so every morning on my drive to work during Lent, I've listened to your podcast starting at episode one. This morning, I just finished episode 40, and as you can tell, I have listened to a few extra, depending on the day as able. Catholic podcasts like yours have transformed my Lenten season. I'm a convert of eight years with three children ranging from five and a half to six months. As much as I would love to say these eight years have been growing in my faith, I have not. Though I can say that this has been the most fruitful Lenten season of my life. I feel so inspired by you and the women you have interviewed to be both a better mom and a strong Catholic woman. So many of your topics have hit so close to home, and it's great to hear about how you have managed your marriage, kids, and household through the years. Also, thank you for all the episodes you have put out, as I am excited to know I have so many more episodes to listen to. Definitely not giving up listening to you as my morning routine anytime soon. Megan. Thank you, Megan. I'm astonished. I mean, I don't even know what I said in episode one, so I'm not going to go back and listen because I probably will cringe. But I'm thrilled to know that I was a part of your Lenten journey in that way. That is beautiful. And I'm, I'm so grateful. And I'm really honored that you would listen to everything that I've shared in such a deeply um, committed way. And um, I think it's wonderful. And I try not to think about binging on episodes of Girlfriends because it makes me uncomfortable to think about anybody listening to me for that long (laughs) or for that intense a period of time. But I do it with other shows, so I totally get it. And I'm I'm so happy to hear that it's been helpful to you. And I'm going to be praying for you, Megan. I'm going to be praying for you to continue to grow in your faith throughout the Easter season. Um, But thank you so much for giving me that feedback. It truly is encouraging to me because that's why I'm here. 
I'm here because I want to help people in that way. I want to encourage people in their journeys, in their in their faith. I want to be that source of encouragement for you and for anybody else who's listening. So thank you for letting me know the the small way in which I was able to do that in your Lent this season. So um, I'm going to continue to pray for you and your family as you continue to grow. And let me know as you listen to the next 40 episodes uh, what you think and give me your feedback on some of those topics. I would love it. Thanks so much, Megan. I record these podcasts just a little bit ahead of time. So by the time you listen to this, I will already be back. But I am going to be going to San Antonio this weekend. I am thrilled to be going to San Antonio to speak at the Together in Holiness Marriage Conference that's going to be taking place out there this coming weekend. And I'm excited to meet some of you. I'm hoping I've had a few people reach out on Facebook letting me know they were going to be there and um, wanting to connect in person while I'm there. And I'm thrilled to be doing that. If you would like for me to come to your community, come to speak in your community, whether to give one of my retreats, my You Are Enough retreat, my You're Worth It retreat, or if you'd like for me to come and speak and be a part of a conference that you're already putting together or some other event that's going on in your community, I would love to meet you. Honestly, it's really the most gratifying thing to me in the world when I'm at an event and somebody comes up to me and says, I listen to girlfriends. I am like, okay, here's a friend in the crowd because I know if you listen to girlfriends that we are friends. So um, if you're interested in having me come out or getting more information about having me come out to your community, you can go to daniellebean.com slash speaking or daniellebean.com slash retreats to get more information about that. There's a little form on each of those pages that you can fill out to get more information about bringing me to your community. I am booking events as far out as March 2020 right now. So don't delay. If you want something in the coming year, let me know. Let's connect and at least get a date on the calendar. Uh, But I do have plenty of times that are open this summer and this fall still. So let me know if you're interested. I would love to hear from you and I would love to meet you in person. And that's all we have time for today. Enjoy Easter, okay, in the coming week. Celebrate Easter. Do something that is celebratory. Celebrate all 50 days of Easter, especially this coming week. And note, it does not have to involve Whopper eggs. <laughs> my my coming week of celebration of Easter will not include Whopper eggs. I know that sounds like such a drag, but it's truly what's best for me <laughs> in the long term. So anyway, I want to thank you for being here. Thanks for being a part of the Girlfriends community of listeners. I'm so happy to know that you are there. You're listening to what I share every week. It truly is encouraging to me. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 